Well, thank you so much for being here. We're just delighted that you're here. We want to be a community of faith and of love and hope. Hopefully you'll feel that this morning as we're here together. I'm going to invite Greg to come up, and he's going to share some of his personal testimony with you. Um, and uh, some of you got a chance to hear him a little bit already. He's going to share something about his relationship with God and a few things as well. Okay, Greg, why don't you come? Hi. <coughs> um, yeah, um, my name is Greg Boyda, and uh, Steve asked me if I'd give my testimony today. He probably asked me this a month ago, and you'd think I would have prepared. But it's my testimony, so how bad can it be? Um, I usually tell a, a story, I tell a lot of backstory, so some of my stories go on and on. But since we have to get out of here by 10, I only have until then. I was brought up uh, in Catholic, uh, Catholic uh, brought up in Detroit, uh, born in 1949 to Christian parents. And uh, I was a second child. I have a brother a year older than I am. And then um, 12 years later, I had a sister. And two years after that, I had another brother. So for quite a few years, I guess I had the second child syndrome, uh, meaning that uh, I got my brother's old clothes. Um, I got what was left after he ate. Um, he got a bike. I got a used bike. And uh, eventually, I got to the point where I thought, you know, if I just kind of go off on my own, I can get first choice. You know, So I, very early age, I started working. Uh, when I was seven or eight years old, I was shoveling snow, cutting grass, doing all kinds of jobs. At nine, I got two paper routes a morning route and an afternoon route, saved my money, bought a new bike, you know, just did everything kind of on my own, which was good and not so good. I got kind of independent at an early age. When I was 10, I figured that I really didn't need to listen to my parents anymore. I mean, I could make all my own decisions. They disagreed. So uh, we had kind of a rift, you know, we had uh, butting heads, and it kind of flowed over into, into my Catholic upbringing. Um, I never didn't believe in God, but I got to a point where I just didn't accept everything that everybody else was telling me all the time, and I kind of wandered away. And by the time I was a teenager, I just kind of quit going to church. You know, as soon as I got a driver's license, I'd get in the car to go to church, but I always found someplace else to go instead. So <coughs> uh, that kind of uh, got me through high school. Uh, I got further and further away. Um, still believed in God, just didn't know where to worship, what to do about it. And uh, after high school, I went to the Marine Corps. And uh, well, first I went to college. And uh, I spent too much time in the student center and not enough time in class. Then I went in the Marine Corps. I figured I'm, I'm tired of school. You know, what a great op opportunity to go somewhere where you don't have to learn. And, uh, of course, I was surprised there, too. I learned a lot. And, uh, again, you get shaped by the adventures, I guess, in your life. And um, so I got very disciplined. Uh, the Marine Corps taught me that uh, when somebody in authority says to do something, you better do it uh, because the consequences are immediate and they usually hurt. So uh, I got disciplined and um, did okay. I spent three years in the Marine Corps, served in Vietnam, uh, got back, got married, and um, got out and <clears throat> went back to Detroit. Some other things were going on in my life, uh, experiences that I had uh, uh, over in Vietnam, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, there were a lot of drugs over there, and uh, uh, it was nice to get high, and I, 
like doing that. So I did. And when I got back, I kept doing it. And, and uh, I also saw, found that I missed uh, the adrenaline rush that was so much a part of my life for so long. Uh, so I not only took drugs, I started dealing them because it was such a rush. And uh, I did that for a few years. <coughs> and um, I knew that I had to stop. I went back to school. I was going to night school for a while. Got a, uh, got a bachelor's degree and um, went on to school, uh, graduate school at the University of Nevada at Las Vegas. And what a place to go, Vegas. <laughs> so I went and um, uh, <coughs> fell in with some other people there uh, that um, kind of supported my lifestyle. I did cut my hair. I had really long hair for a while. I cut my hair and uh, uh, kind of looked presentable. And I uh, kept having this gnawing feeling, you know, you got to stop what you're doing. You know, you got a three-year-old son. Um, you know, what's going to happen to him? <coughs> yeah, your wife, uh, you know, she prays for you every time you walk out the door. And, uh, and uh, so these thoughts kept coming to me. And one day uh, we had a car repossessed. We weren't doing so well financially. But uh, we had a car repossessed, so we had to get another car. So uh, we went down to... Decatur Boulevard in Las Vegas where there's a lot of car dealers and uh, at the time my son liked to watch television and he liked the uh, superhero movies and there was this uh, program I guess out of Japan called Ultraman and he used to play Ultraman all the time this particular night he said uh, he came out when we were leaving he came out with a uh, towel and he goes dad make me a cape so I put the towel around him and you know pinned it in the front made him a cape so he could play Ultraman while we're out in the car dealership. So while we're there, he and my wife were looking at some uh, uh, conversion vans. And uh, I was talking to a salesman. We were standing right by the street. I hear the roar of this engine coming toward us. And I'm thinking, wow, that's loud. That's got to be a fast car. And I looked up, and it was, it was a fast car. It was a Corvette. And he comes screaming down the road, and he turns into the car dealership. And at the same time, my son <coughs> jumps out between the vans and yells out, Ultraman, and he just jumps out, and the car hit him. <coughs> so, uh, gosh, it happened yesterday. <coughs> anyway, my wife starts screaming, and uh, I'm probably from here to maybe those stairs away from them. And I push the salesman out of the way, and <coughs> in that brief second and a half before I got to where my son was, thinking that he was dead. Uh, the only thing that came to my mind is, God, please, not this. Anything but this. So I get over there. My, my wife's still screaming. My son is behind the car sitting down. He had cowboy boots on. They were both knocked off. One of his socks was knocked off. He had blood coming down the side of his head. And um, <coughs> I, I told my wife, I said, I, I got to talk to Gabe. You got to stop screaming, you know. So she's kind of settling down, and, and I, so I asked him, I said, do you hurt anywhere? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, I'm going to lift you up under the arms. I said, if something hurts, you tell me. So I start lifting him up. He goes, I'm okay. And then he got on his legs, and he says, my leg hurts. I said, okay. So I just lifted him up, got him in the car, took him to the hospital. You know, they did x-rays and stuff and stitched up his head, and, and uh, he was okay. <coughs> I wasn't, <laughs> but I wanted to be. So <coughs> my life changed at that moment. 
not the first time God has listened to my prayer, uh, but the first time it made it such an impact on my life. And I realized at that time that I was really, really deep in the hole. And that although conversion could have happened in that moment, uh, it wasn't like Saul on the road to Damascus. Um, it was a real, real long climb out for me uh, that is still going on uh, some 37 years later. Uh, there's always challenges, uh, but I take solace in the fact that God listens to prayer and that he has been my conscience, or constant companion, my conscience also, but my constant com companion uh, through, these, uh, through these years, uh, even when I didn't realize he was, and now, of course, since I do realize he is. And uh, with that, I'll turn it back over to Pastor Steve. That's a powerful story, isn't it? And uh, Greg, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, Barbara, you okay to come and do that reading for us? Barbara's going to come and read our scripture for us today. It's found from Isaiah chapter 40. Also want you to know that after our service today, we have some breakfast vittles available for you. We'd love to have you stay for that as well. Okay. Our reading today is from Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God. Well, thank you, Barbara. Appreciate you reading that for us. That was an excellent reading from the, uh, the book of Isaiah. I have a friend who loves to take cross-country motorcycle rides. He lives over in Ohio, and he loves to come out here and stay with us for a few days or a few weeks. Some of you guys have met him. His name is Doug, a good friend of mine, a childhood friend uh, of mine. And I asked Doug once, what is it about riding a motorcycle that is just such an appealing thing for you? It's kind of a stupid question, I suppose, but I had not done that sort of thing, and I was curious about that. I mean, all I can think of is, man, it's got to be uncomfortable to sit in one position for hour and hour on end, you know, and uh, that's just got to be tough. And, and isn't it going to be annoying to feel that wind against you at 65 exact miles per hour or 80 or whatever it is that you must go and and the noise that goes along with it everything's so alive why not the quietness and the comfortability of a nice car seat and an air-conditioned uh, uh space so what i don't quite get it and and isn't it kind of dangerous you know it seems like it's a little bit dangerous and he kind of laughed and he says you only think that because you've never done it. You have no idea what's really going on. There's nothing like the, I mean, these are my paraphrase of his words. There's nothing like the exhilaration you feel on the, on the open road, alone with your thoughts, feeling one with your machine and at peace 
with the world. Well, that sounded pretty good to me. I could understand. I could understand. We talked about it some more, and I could summarize his comments perhaps in this way. I think that Doug loved to feel, he, he loved to feel the elements of the road. For him, the, the noise and the wind and the bugs and all of that, that was all part of the experience of experiencing life and not having it sort of whiz by on the other side of a glass screen inside a caged wheel as you go down, uh, you know, down the road. But it makes him feel, made him feel one with the world and made him feel alive. Now, those of you right, is, that, is there sort of some truth in that? Yeah, yeah, so just kind of alive, yeah. Um, and then I think Doug also, not in addition to the elements, but he also loved to feel the, the power when he rode. Now, I, I, can, I can identify with that, I suppose. Sitting on top of a powerful engine only a few feet away from, well, I would say from death, but <laughs> a few feet away from the asphalt, hurtling down the road. It's exhilarating. Uh, it makes you feel strong and powerful. <clears throat> all that power. Well, I could say some more things about it, but, you know, let's just say all that power, you know, that you can feel. And, and he loved that feeling. It made him feel strong. It made him feel powerful, you know. I think another thing that he enjoyed about it is I think he loved the feeling of independence that it gave to him. Makes him feel free and alive and just on your own. Are, am I getting a picture of it a little bit, Greg? A little? Okay. Some of these things that might be. At, and, and I discovered as Greg mentioned earlier when he was talking uh, in, the, in the time of the blessing, that there is a unique relationship that exists between a biker and his bike, a, a, a sense of interdependence. It's something like, uh, maybe like that of a cowboy to his horse, as you, those of you who are, have horses here in KV, a unique relationship, being able to move down the road at a pace faster than you would go, feeling that power, that independence, that involvement with life. And there's a deep companionship that develops between a biker and his bike and a sense of shared experience that draws the man and the machine together. I was talking with one of our guys here this earlier talking about taking, a, uh, in 2006, taking a bike trip around the world. I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds like something I'd like to do. And spending a lot of time in Asia. So I used to be, I hope you don't mind me quoting, I didn't really mean to do this. I, I wasn't just looking for a sermon illustration, Bart. But, uh, but I thought it was just beautiful as he talked about it. And, um, uh, having been there in the boardroom in, the, in, in, in Asian countries, but now being able to experience life on the ground and see what life was like uh, on the open road traveling around the world uh, um, and uh, having a sense of shared experience as even in that day, Bart showed me his bike and some of the unique characteristics of that. Now, you can all, if you're a biker, you can relate to that, I'm sure, and you can understand that some, I suppose. Can you, uh, these, I thought of all of these things as I was preparing to speak to all of us, whether bikers or cowboys or anybody else who's got a boring life, you know, <laughs> all of the rest of us with boring lives, um, you know, that, uh, yeah, that feeling of aliveness that comes for me, that feeling of power, that feeling of freedom, that feeling of companionship, these are all really great things, fantastic things, and I think probably one of the reasons why this is such an a, a, a important hobby. Wouldn't it be great if we could have that feeling of aliveness, that feeling of power, that feeling of freedom, that feeling of companionship 24 hours a day, all the time, in every circumstance of our life? Wouldn't it be great if all of our life could feel so energized, so powerful, so alive, so symbiotic, so free? But 
It's not that way for us much of the time, isn't it? All of us, whether bikers, cowboys, or otherwise. It's not that way. All too often, our lives are not filled with energy, but rather lethargy, right? Oh, another day. Help me make it through another day, we might say. Not with power, but with sense of weakness. Of oh, well, The world's out of control. I can't control anything. The econ- this house I thought it was going to be my nest egg now is becoming a grave. You know, whatever. All these things. Um, uh, just getting by and if we're really honest, we might even admit that one of the reasons we love the experience of getting out on the open road, whether on a motorcycle or on a horse or while we're hiking or running or riding a bicycle or whatever, is because this is so different from the way life often happens to us. You know, we, <laughs> uh, it's precisely because we crave an escape from the mundane and the mediocrity of our normal lives. We feel trapped. We want to be free. We feel stuck. We want to be independent. We feel dead. We want to feel alive. We're caught in, (laughs) we want to soar on the wings of an eagle, but we're caught with a gaggle of geese. You ever felt that way? (laughs) That's the way life feels for us. Yeah. The good news in Scripture, the good news in Scripture, the Scripture which Barbara just read for us, is that God wants to help us feel alive and free and powerful and strengthened in every experience of our lives. He does want us to soar like eagles. He does not want us to be simply gaggling like geese. And so this morning, I want to suggest to you that there are three things in this text which Barbara read for us which can help us because often we do feel rather stuck and our lives are a little bit out of control. All right, the wind is a great thing, but it's causing my notes to go Okay, so there's three things that I think are found in this text pretty easy to see. The first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize our weakness. If we want to really be free, we've got to recognize our weakness. And you can jot these down in the message notes here that I passed out for you, okay? Um, Recognize it. Look at what it says in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. You see, we will not receive receive power until we admit we are faint. We will not receive strength until we we admit that, uh, and to admit that we need strength. We won't be made uh, given strength until we admit that we are weary. We need to recognize our weakness and our dependence upon God. And what we want to say about this is two things. We want to see our weakness in God's choice. These people to whom Isaiah was writing, they were living a long time ago. They were living hundreds of miles away from their homeland in exile. They had lost their country. They had lost their independence. They had lost uh, their freedom. They were just living in this land of Babylon, dreaming of the homeland of Israel. And uh, they had felt pretty much abandoned and weak by, weakened. They were very weak. They, were, they felt abandoned and hopeless. You know, we feel that way sometimes as well. Sometimes it hits us right smack in the face with a letter that comes in the mail or a phone call that comes from someone, or an interview that doesn't go right, or a relationship that breaks down. We feel often abandoned and hopeless and somewhat 
weak. Yes, we have to admit that we need strength before God can give to us strength. If you've ever been in AA, you know that's often the very first difficult step. What is the first step of AA? We admitted we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, what's true with regard to AA or NA or SA or N, you know, all the different 12 steps groups is true for every human being. We've got to admit that we've got weakness. These people, Isaiah's putting in their room, in the, in their, their thoughts into words. Um, he's saying, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? He's saying, you feel like God has abandoned you. And certainly they did feel that way. Certainly they did feel out of control. But what he wants us to see is that I am weak, but God has chosen me. That's the fill in the blank. We must be able to say, I am weak, but God has chosen me. Isaiah writes and uses their covenant name. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? He's speaking to the Jewish people, and he's reminding them of their forefather, Jacob, who became Israel. This is a reminder of their identity. If you know your Bible, you remember that in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob. Now, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob was a twin brother. He tricked his brother. He went off in exile. His brother was after his life. He went off in shame. He went off to another land, and he became wealthy and had uh, wives and children. Now he's on his way back, but he's got an enemy, his brother, who had sworn to kill him. And so he's on his way back, and he's afraid. He's feeling like, oh, no, am I going to make it? Is he going to take, is, what's he going to do to me? And Jacob, on the night before he goes to meet his brother Esau, has a dream or has an experience during the night when a man begins to wrestle with him. He doesn't know, but it's an angel or a preexistent experience of God. And he's wrestling with God, wrestling, wrestling. And ultimately what God does is God... Um, puts out of joint his hip bone. Now, if you've ever been a wrestler, which probably none of you have, you, you, your, your hip bone is your, believe it or not, I did wrestle, and I got hurt, turn, tore my shoulder wrestling. And, but the hip bone especially, you, it, it's your source of strength. You, how you, you can't do anything. He touched him at the point of his strength and made him weak. And he said, your name has been Jacob, the supplanter. Now you are Israel, the one who contended with God. This was the way that God affirmed that he would bless him, but not because of his own strength, not because of the strength that existed in his hip, but rather because of the strength that came from God had chosen him. You see, the beauty of that part of the story that he's reminding them is, don't you guys remember that you have been chosen by God? Yes, you're living in an alien land. Yes, it feels like you've got no power, but God had has chosen you and given to you a future. You see, God dislocated Jacob's hip, the pivot of his strength, having previously depended upon his wits and his own strength. Jacob's natural powers are now crippled. Every step he would take in his future, he would take with a limp, reminding him of his dependence upon God's grace. As God answered Jacob's prayer, God answers our prayer. We belong to him. So, yes, we've got to admit that we are weak. But when we admit, we're reminded that God has chosen us. That's the first thing. We need to recognize our weakness. Secondly, we need to realize God's greatness. Realize God's greatness. 
what we want to say over this thing, fill in the blank, is God is great and he will strengthen me. God is great and he will strengthen me. In the first half, we have to kind of recognize who we are, but in the second part, we want to recognize who God is. The mistake that we make often, we're like people who have this beautiful bike, but don't we think we've got to push it down the road. We don't realize all the power that's in it. I'm sure some of you who might have, 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 have had uh, experience with bikes will sometimes see people who've never put their bike to the test and seen all that it can do, you see. Many of us don't realize what kind of God it is who has saved us. And Isaiah reminds him, he says four things about God in those verses where he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What are the four things? He reminds them, number one, God is eternal. He is the everlasting God. You see, you and I are locked in time. We don't know 10 minutes from now. We don't know, right? We have no idea. And that makes us afraid, doesn't it? But God is everlasting. He knows the past as well as the future. We're locked in time, but for God, every moment is a present moment. The urgency of our moments make us do stupid things sometimes, you know, to, to, to give up, to give in, and to go on, right? We need to remember that God is an eternal God. God is equally present. He is an everlasting God. Remember that. The second thing he says is that not only that God is eternal, but God is the creator. He's the creator of everything, even to the ends of the earth. You will see, these people were in a Babylonian exile, and they thought that God was back there in Jerusalem. They thought, oh, no, I've screwed up. Often we can feel that way too. We look at our past and our mistakes and we say, oh my goodness, if only I had it to do over again, the rest of my life is going to be a mess. <laughs> but we need to realize that God is everywhere present. God is the creator of the ends of the earth, whether it's an exile in Babylon or a lonely hotel room or a sick bed in a hospital or a somber mortuary. God is there. You are never far from God. He wanted to remind them of that. So God is eternal. God is the creator. And the third thing, God is always at work. God is always at work. He says, he does not faint or grow weary. God is never tired. Have you ever thought about this? You spend a third of your life sleeping <laughs> or replenishing in one way or another, whether eating or sleep. I know you say, no, I only sleep six hours. Okay. You know, a fourth of your life, right? But what about all those hours you spend eating? What if you left out all the times you need to rest? You would die. You would die. We live most of our life, a third of our lives asleep. God does not need this. God is eternally at work. He is forever fresh. He's always alert. This is the God who loves us. He's eternal. He's a creator. He's never tired. He does not grow faint or weary. And the fourth thing, God is wise. His understanding is unsearchable. God is wise. His understanding is 
unsearchable. You see, this is the God who gives us power. This is the God who gives us strength. This is the God on whom we depend, a God who is wise, a God who is, uh, uh, who's, who's never asleep, who God is everywhere, a God who's always present. This is the God who cares about us. He's the one. So, yeah, the first thing is to realize our weakness, to recognize our weakness. But the second thing is to realize God's, uh, uh, God's strength. And then the third thing is to, to rely on God's strength, to rely on God's strength. It says in the 30th verse, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Um, but uh, God is the source of our strength. But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Yeah, our strength gives out. Our bikes need gas. Our horse needs rest. Our bodies need sleep. But we have a God who never needs new rest, who never falls asleep, who's never caught by surprise by anything. We can rely on God's strength. You see, the reality is, is that as we surrender to this God who is strong, we can receive his strength. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself, in order to give us strength, became weak. He became weak. When he was on this earth, even though he was God in the flesh, he gave his life in weakness so that the power of God would be available to us. Last Sunday, we, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we not, must never forget that his resurrection was preceded by his death and by his incarnation when he became human, subject to the needs of our own bodies. The Bible says he sat down by his side because he was tired. And because he was hungry one time, and when he saw death, it made him cry. Jesus had those real feelings. He shared our weakness. And in fact, he took upon himself all of our weakness when he died on that cross so that he can give to us his resurrection life. I love this phrase where it says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't know that I've ever really seen an eagle up close. My friend Doug was here a few weeks ago, and, and he went down towards Salt River, and he found some eagles. I don't know. Have you seen them? They're, they're around here, yeah. Bald eagles. I mean, the good ones, the big ones, the fancy ones. I was kind of impressed, you know. And uh, he says it's just amazing when you're not so far. When you see them with that wide seven-foot wingspan, it's amazing. And you know the eagles live way up high. And eagles don't so much fly as soar. You know what I'm saying? In fact, studies say that in the 60-minute flight, uh, oh, an eagle will only flap his wings two minutes. He's learned how to work with the wind. You know, too many of us are flapping. <laughs> We're like that albatross, right? <laughs> you ever feel like that? He doesn't say flap like an albatross. 
He says, soar, mount up. And so what an eagle does, they get up on that high perch and they listen and w- for the winds and they go. And yes, they do have to flap a few times. You know, I'm not trying to say they don't. They don't just glide, but they utilize that strength. Yeah, God wants to help us soar. We wait to catch the movement of God's spirit like an eagle on a cliff waiting for the winds to be just right. Like a surfer on the wave. I tried surfing when I was a youth pastor. I was never very good at it. And if you ever try that, it's not easy to do. Mo- in fact, most of the guys out there surfing do more splashing than surfing anyway. But I, the hard part for me was I couldn't catch the wave. I was working so hard to catch the wave. And that describes a lot of us, isn't it? We're pressing. We're pushing. We're trying. We're mad. We're angry. No. Because of what God has done for us, he offers us the wind of his spirit, you know, or like a sailboat on the sea to catch the wind. Like a rider on the back of a motorcycle, we lean into the power of the turn, right? We let it carry us on around. But in order to do that, we've got to recognize our weakness. We've got to see God's strength. We've got to trust in him. But those who wait on the Lord. Waiting is no fun, right? How many of us like to wait? And really the word could be translated hope. It's like that eager, it's, it's on tiptoes. It's the eagle on the edge of the cliff waiting for the right moment. It's the guy out there on the waves having gotten to the right spot, watching the waves come, looking for the right moment. He's waiting, anticipating as we wait on the Lord. He can give us that kind of energized life that helps us to live alive and powerful and free even when we have to put our bike in the garage, even when we have to put our horse into the stall, even when we put our surfboard on top of that little (laughs) 1968 Volkswagen bus or whatever, you know? We go and we don't stop being free when we get off our steed. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Take a look at your life. Are you flapping? Are you ready to admit you need God? If so, trust in him. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for this beautiful image from centuries ago of eagles who soar. Oh, it's a beautiful thing when we feel that kind of strength underneath us and around us, carrying us, moving us, making us free and alive. And you want for that experience to be the normal thing for our lives, even if we are in exile, even if we are going through hard times. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to admit that we need you, to believe that you are capable, and to commit our life to you. In fact, in many ways, those first three steps of AA are what we have to do. We need to admit that our lives are unmanageable. Point one. We need to believe that there is a God who can set us free. Number two. And three, we need to make a decision to surrender ourselves to God. Jesus 
in the flesh, God in the flesh, died for our sins, raised from the dead, offering his spirit so that we can soar. We don't want to flap anymore. We want to soar. Help us to make that decision today.